Hello and welcome to the My First Five Years podcast. I'm Alistair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson, and we're the founders of My First Five Years, an activities and child development app for parents. And this podcast really is just for you, because we want to help you find the joy in parenting and also ditch some of that guilt and worry that we all have as parents. Oh gosh, absolutely. Let's get rid of that anxiety and have some more fun. So what we want to do each fortnight is to talk about some of the things that are really important in early parenting. So the key things like sleep and nutrition and behaviour. And what we want to do is share some of the knowledge and secrets that we've got around that parenting strategies for how you can make it better and also just make your parenting experience a bit more joyful. And I'm so lucky to have met you about 10 years ago where you shared some of these things with me. And it was a proper penny drop moment where it really changed how I viewed parenting and how I approached my own parenting. And it was so much more fun and actually so much easier as well. And I'm really looking forward to sharing my part of that journey of transformation, third time round with my third child, having sort of been let into these secrets and this world of knowledge and understanding. Yeah, and if we can then remove some of that anxiety for you as parents, then we've done our job. So that's our plan. It really is our plan. We want to share what we know so that we can make it all more fun. On today's podcast, Alistair, we're going to explore what I call comparanoia. And I guess for me, that is that unhealthy thing that we do as parents that drives a lot of our anxiety, which is that we look at what other children are doing and what other parents are doing. And we can't help but unhealthily compare where we're at, where our children are at, to where other families are at and other children are at. And yeah, for me, the, that term comparanoia just kind of sums it all up. We're, we're feeding into this anxiety Absolutely. and paranoia. And it's a culture. It's a culture in our society, which is also driven by social media. So we all know when you get on Instagram, TikTok, wherever it may be, and you are scrolling through looking at those perfect families with their perfect children who are all dressed in beautiful pastel shades or doing wonderful activities. In the tidy think, house. In the tidy house. <laughs> You think, actually, that's not me. What am I doing wrong? And actually, for most of us, it's it's none of us. It's an Instagram or a Facebook or a social media image that exists that isn't the truth. And we need, as parents, for our own mental health and well-being to acknowledge that, actually, that's not what life is like. There is a tiny minority of parents now on Instagram that are actually showing what goes behind that perfect picture. I love it. I love it. And I wish more people would do it because, really, it is just that captured perfect moment which is far from perfect they've probably spent two hours of stress and anxiety setting it up to look so but you know what one of the reasons that we started our app and we had this kind of vision in the first place was because when we looked at the apps that were out there to try and support parents on their parenting journey they make really daft statements around when your child is six weeks old, they will be doing this or they should be doing this. And even that word should makes yep. you worry that they're not. And actually, we know from science and research that children develop really uniquely and at their own pace. I think the best example of that, you know, for all parents is that we totally understand that children will walk Absolutely. when they're ready. Yeah. You know, I have three girls, you have three boys. None of them magically stood up at nine months, nine days and, you know, universally walked and did the same thing at the same same time. So we all get that as parents. We all know that summer walk at nine months, summer 12 months, summer 18 months, and, and trying to relax into that is a good thing. So if we know that and we just use our common sense, don't we also know that it's the same for absolutely everything else? So why are we feeding into this nonsense? Absolutely. And I think also for parents, it's really hard for us because you remember the milestones and they become really important. So things like walking, 
potty training, weaning, reading, writing. And we talk about those a lot. And sometimes you can feel like you're in a race to get there. And I remember in our kind of early parenting group, our eldest son was one of the first to walk. And we really celebrated that, like, get in. He's the first one to walk. And actually, it was a nightmare because he was then into everything. And he walked in December. So come Christmas and Christmas trees and Christmas presents, it was an <laughs> absolute nightmare. But actually, it makes no difference whatsoever. And it's the idea that if we're always looking towards the big milestones, because for parents, that's the thing you remember, the thing yeah. that's talked about most. They become dead important. And actually what you were doing there was utterly feeding into that Absolutely. toxicity. Yeah. yeah. You what were creating the drama. So what we want to do through the app that we've got and the information that we're given to parents is to let you see the uniqueness of your child's development, but also the little steps that often go unnoticed because you wouldn't know to notice them, but actually they're really significant. So we do talk a lot about that and how you can spot the little things that give you momentum on your parenting journey. I think for me, when I really started to understand the things that you've always understood and started to look at my child's journey differently, it's just so much more celebratory you're spotting all these things that they're doing all day every day in front of you anyway but you're valuing them and you're beginning to understand how they connect in to the things that I understood before but I guess realistically if someone had said to me all right Jenny what are the key milestones of all children from naught to five I think I'd probably struggle after 15 20 of them yeah, because yeah it's yeah. just those big ones and yeah. and because it is things like crawling walking talking counting to 10 potty training weaning we're just obsessing about those few big things and actually when you start to understand all the little things that take yeah. you to those bigger things and you start to spot them and see them and celebrate them I just completely backed off as a parent and really began to trust my child's processes and learning Absolutely. and that she knew her pace and I just needed to support her rather than me drive the pace and really value that actually slow, deep learning as an art five-year-old is much more valuable than rushing to get to a destination just so like you did. I could go to the parenting group and say, so, yeah, yes, they're friends. walking now. And I think it's about when you know as a parent what you can do to enable and support that journey. There are also things that you can't control, like your child's sleep pattern. And we do that really toxic thing as parents say, are they sleeping through yet? Oh, are they sleeping through yet? Are as they if, a good child? Yeah. As if they're a bad child Absolutely. if they're not. Yeah. And then if you've got a child that sleeps through, you're thinking, well, yes, so I'm doing something right. But if you're like you and I both had children who probably didn't sleep through, sorry if you're listening to this, who didn't sleep through, maybe they were five, I think for both I of us. I had one of yeah, those, yeah. yeah. I had one of those. Um, then you're thinking, well, what am I doing wrong that my child is not a good child and not sleeping through? And actually, we know biologically children are bred not to sleep through because of the way that nature works and the way that they wake in the night to be fed and they've got smaller stomachs and therefore they're unlikely to sleep through. So if we change our expectation around, well, my child's unlikely to sleep through because biologically children aren't programmed to do that, then we immediately take away that kind of anxiety or that fear around, am I a good parent or is my child a good child or how or what weird and wonderful thing off the internet can I try tonight to get my child to sleep? <laughs> And we'll be doing a whole episode on sleep in a few weeks' time to coincide with World Sleep Day, so keep your eyes peeled for that one. Uh -huh. 
So what Jenny and I thought we'd do now is share with you some of the experiences we've had as parents that have taken us through that kind of comparanoia phase with our own children. Most of you are young adults now, but still we remember really clearly those feelings of not being good enough as a parent or wondering about whether our children were doing the right thing. I've got a really good example of this and I've got both sides of the coin with it actually. So the the me that didn't know was um, when I took my eldest to have a look at a school that I was really hoping that she'd get into when she was, I don't know, three years old. And we were sat there and listening to what the teacher was saying. And I looked down and she was sat next to this child that was writing their first and second name beautifully. And I was like, Oh my goodness, Jess can't even write a first name. She's never going to get into this school. And I immediately that day went and bought um, an M&S sort of um, handwriting book and sat her at the kitchen table, literally, poor thing, getting her to copy these shapes. And it's almost like writing lines, like you'd been in trouble. She was not enjoying this, but I was convinced that, you know, she was behind and she should be doing this stuff and that other child could write the first and second name. Later found out that child was 18 months older and already in the school. So stupid. Me. Um, the second one was actually the other way around when I'd become empowered with knowledge. And this was my third child. Um, and just being really relaxed about the fact that she would engage with reading when she was ready. And going into chat to the school and saying, look, she's not enjoying this yet. She's, you know, she likes picture books. She's not engaging with the words. I don't think she's ready. And the teacher actually saying to me, it's really refreshing, Jenny, that you're letting her lead. And that even though there were some kids there on level six and level seven and level eight of the books, and, you know, Olivia was still probably on level one and two. Um, I understood that she was on a journey with it and I could see her progress and I knew she'd get there. And the teacher actually said to me, look, some of these kids that are on the higher levels, they can read the book. But when I ask them what the book was about, they haven't got a clue because they're not really engaging. Yet when I ask Olivia to tell me what this picture book's about, she's really engaged with it and she can interpret her creation of the story. And of course, Olivia can read beautifully now. But I was confident enough as a parent and relaxed enough as a parent to let Olivia find her love of reading at her pace. Yeah, there will be some children who are quite far down their reading journey and they will be able to read well and articulate and understand what they've read. But Mm -hmm. you do also get children who are very good at decoding. So they're good at kind of um, attaching sounds to letters and, and making the right words. But it can be that in that process, they miss the ability to then comprehend what they're reading because their brain is so engaged with the decoding bit that they don't think about the context around what they're reading. Mm. So it's always useful as a parent to go back and talk about what your child has read and think, you know, are they really understanding the context of what they're reading or is it for them just about decoding? Yeah, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Is it especially as a first-time parent? I mean, I know in a in a previous uh, job role, I was a head teacher for ten years of an infant school, and reading was one of those things that really used to get parents anxious and yeah. irated. Yeah. And you would you have them coming out at the end of the school day, and the first thing they would do is check in the book bag to see what reading level they're on, or had they got another reading book. And even on one occasion. I met a parent, our reading area was on the corridor where all our reading books were stored. Yeah. And I could see from my office that the parent was kind of hanging around in the corridor. And what she was doing was putting reading books from school in her bag, like collections of, to take <laughs> home. And that was, I was like, can I help you? And she obviously knew that I knew what she was doing. And she just said, we just want to get ahead with the reading. And I get that it's really important because we think, and it is, reading is an important skill. We want our children to be able to read. Yep. But also we know, mm-hmm. and as an adult, you know, the more pressure 
is put on you to do anything, to do anything, yeah. then the less you want to do it. And yeah. actually, in the right hands, you know, in the right school with the right level of support, children will become really effective and accomplished readers. But if you love reading, then you're way more likely to do it. If it becomes a chore, then you're less likely to do it. But it is hard because ultimately comparanoia comes from parents wanting the best for their children. It does. It comes from a good place. Yeah. But it also comes from, I guess... I'm trying to find a nice way of putting it, but a lack of knowledge, because if you really understood how children learn and that they learn by gaining confidence and enjoying what they're doing, and if you enjoy doing something, they want to do more of it, then you would always back off as a parent and you wouldn't be pushy. You would. And I suppose the ultimate then is, well, how are you supposed to know? Because what you're not taught at school is how to parent. So that's where we come in, basically, where we're saying, well, my first five years is about giving you that manual that your child wasn't born with. Mm -hmm. And what we're not trying to do is to create a culture or a tribe that are doing these weird and wonderful things you have to do to have a successful child. So not we're not saying, you know, sit in the corner with a bucket on your head and chant. <laughs> what we're basically saying is we're going back to the fundamentals of science, research and play-based learning. Because when children are playing, not only are their brains working over time, but in a positive way, they have really high levels of well-being, mm -hmm. which gives you really high levels of, of engagement, which means the potential for learning is massive. And sometimes as a parent, it's about doing less to enable children to do more. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've got another example of that doing less to learn more thing. And again, it was only because I was confident in myself and my parenting third time round that I challenged the system. And the other two, bless them, I made them do the spellings every week because that's what school said. And this is at four and five years old. So they were coming home with a list of 10 spellings oh, that they spellings. needed to learn yeah. by the Friday. And there's a spelling test every Friday. And, you know, I was drilling it into them. Nobody was enjoying themselves. I certainly wasn't enjoying myself and neither were the kids. Third time round, I recognised that this spelling is introduced far too early and they're not ready for it yet. And it is just a way to put them off, not yeah. a way to, to really engage them. So again, and I, I was not that night my parent. In fact, the teachers loved me because I was the relaxed parent. That <laughs> Even was if you going. do say so yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I did say so myself. <laughs> oh, honestly, if you speak to the parents at school, certainly of the infant school anyway, yeah. they thought that I was just that joyous parent that got it. But I was like, look, I'm not doing the spellings with her. It's causing her drama. It's causing me drama. And when she's ready, of course, I'm going to engage with spelling. I want her to be able to spell. I just think you're introducing it too soon. The thing I then needed to teach Olivia as a really young kid was if you're not going to do your spellings at home, and I'm all right with that, I'm willing to support you on that, but you are still going to have to sit the spelling test on a Friday. Yeah. So how are you going to handle the fact that you're going to have friends getting eights, nines, tens? Yeah, there are consequences. And you're going to get, you know, yeah. she did actually get naught out of ten once, but she was typically getting one or two. And I guess for me, that was just a brilliant learning opportunity for her around resilience and around Absolutely. consequences and yeah. cause and effect. And we just used it as a, and when you're ready to practice your spellings, you are perfectly capable of getting a 10 out of 10 as well. But we'll do that at some point in the future when you're ready. 
So, and again, that opens a massive can of worms because you will get people saying, "Well, you are basically saying to your child that if school says this, then you can say, well, I don't have to do that.' So, I'm, my mum says I don't have to do it. So, no, 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 no. And I think that's kind of is what we're saying, but not what we're saying. Yeah, I didn't tell, I didn't say to her, "You don't have to do your spelling test." I'm saying there will be a spelling test on Friday, and the consequences of you not learning your spellings by rote during yeah. the week is that for now you're not going to get great results. But we're all right with that because it'll come. And I have even, you know, as head teacher of a school, <laughs> I had similar spelling stories, particularly spelling sentences was the thing in our school. Put mm-hmm. Here's your spelling, put it into a sentence, write 10 of them. Oh. And I can remember each of my three boys actually crying and yeah. saying, I don't want to do it. And so like you as a parent, you just think, right, enough is enough. What mm-hmm. are they gaining from this other yeah. than just hating anything to do with writing and mark making and spelling Mm -hmm. and even with creative ways to do it and we tried to do it by drawing and do all sorts making the spelling sentences into jokes all sorts of stuff yeah and I like you was literally working a full day after coming home just to get my kids to do their flaming homework before sending back to school so we were a bit the same in that we were just like okay you know there's no point in doing this Mm -hmm. but therefore if you don't do it and then you do have to coach your children through what those ramifications may be. So, you know, parenting can be joyous, but also it's a difficult path to tread and you choose your path as a parent. Yeah, and you choose your battles, I guess. And, and yeah. because the teachers were willing to listen to my point of view, they genuinely weren't battles. And I'm not that confrontational parent. The, the, the education system in our country and many countries are so, so flawed. And we could have a whole podcast about that. But we could. are where we are yeah. and the systems are the systems and we work within them as best we can. But I just felt really strongly that I wasn't going to subject my child to something developmentally inappropriate. And when you know it, then yeah, you, you find a nice way to work within the system. And you know what? The teachers loved it. They were like, yeah, we hate them as well, to be honest. <laughs> and speaking about um, the comparison, I think back to when my brother, who's older than me, has four children. I have three. But our uh, eldest three are very close together Mm -hmm. in age. I think our eldest two boys are about six weeks apart. There's about eight weeks between the second two. And uh, my mum was a terror for doing... My brother lived in Edinburgh. We're in Manchester. But she would visit or would speak to her and she'd be saying, oh... David's doing this and Alfie's not doing that. Oh, and I'm sure she, the other way around, was saying, well, Alfie's doing this and David's not doing that. And even though it's my brother and I love him and I want the best for his kids, it used mm-hmm. to really annoy me mm-hmm. that it, was a, it wasn't said in malice. It wasn't said in a way that was trying to make me feel insecure. But just that constant in-the-family comparison yeah. about cousins, you know, siblings, whatever it may be. Oh, no, they were doing this by now or they can already do that. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things we need to do is try and combat that a bit and give the message to our wider families Mm -hmm. um, of, well, yes, that might be the case for that particular child, but each child is unique. And therefore the expectation, like you were saying, that they're both going to walk on the same day or roll or crawl is a realistic, a ridiculous expectation, not a realistic one. And I think that for us is one of our passions and it's what's getting us out of bed every day and why we're coming in to do what we do. It's to try and share what we know because we know that if parents know more and know more of what we know, then that anxiety just drops away. It's so liberating. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about wanting to share what we know and get it into the pocket of parents via the phone and via the app so that they can just have more joy, be more confident they're doing the right things and 
enjoy those first five years because I'm telling you now, they go in the blink of an eye. You've got three adult children, I've got two adult children and one well on the way. And the more joy that we can have in this time, the better. And I think that for us is the mission that we're on. And I think what we talk a lot to parents about is the fact, as you've said, it's not rocket science. We take the science for you and distill it into kind of bite-sized, timely, understandable pieces so that Mm -hmm. you know where the thinking is coming from. But actually loads of it is linked to common sense and play, the thing that your child does most naturally. Mm -hmm. And also with resources that you literally will be able to find somewhere in your house or in the park or in the garden or in the street. So nothing that you have to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on. And those interactions that you can have, those moments of just sharing time that don't have to be, you know, a massive trip to the zoo or a picnic, which are all lovely. But the things that you can do on a day-to-day basis are probably the most powerful learning tools. And they're just right there as long as you know what it is you're looking for. So can paranoia can do one? Absolutely. So let's just sum up what we've talked about today because it feels like loads. So this word comparanoia comes from when we as parents compare ourselves to other parents or our children to other children and then become paranoid about the things that we're not doing. And we really need to stop doing it. We do indeed. And that can come from your peers, from your social media, from your family, from other parents in the school playground. It can literally come from everywhere. So I think it's about being aware of it and trying to have some strategies to combat it. Yeah. And it can also just come from ourselves and that desire to want to feel good about where our children are at. And I honestly believe that knowledge is the power to to change in that mindset. So Alistair, do you reckon we could come up with five easy parenting hacks that can really help us as parents? Five hacks to combat comparanoia. Go on then, you start. Number one, just acknowledge that comparanoia exists. Number two, recognise that everything that you're reading and seeing on social media and in the media generally is likely to be a sanitised, perfect version of what's real. So try and find some realistic accounts to follow as well. Number three would be respect the individuality of your child. And if that means having a conversation with other family members that says, basically, we're all individuals, then have that conversation because you'll be thankful in the end. Four, recognise when it's happening and be brave. Fight against it because there is no reason to be sucked into this crazy world of anxiety and comparison. And number five, think about the journey your child is on around any of those big milestones like reading, writing, walking, talking, and know that most children will get there in the end under their own steam. So what would be really good is that anybody who's been listening today who's got some examples of comparanoia in their own parenting journey, if they got in touch and told us about those. Yeah, I'd love to know from both angles if you received it and how it made you feel, but also if you've been guilty of doing it, because we all have. We've yeah. all done it. When we've got something to brag about, can we help ourselves? And of course, if people want to get in touch or find out more about what we do, we're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and TikTok. And our handle across all of those is at my first five years, with the five being the word five, not the number five. And so we've got lots of interesting information around Comparanoia on the app, which if you want to find out more, you can download from the app store. 
And we're really keen to know what else you want to know because our mission in life is to write more and more useful content to parents to help them along their journey. So if you've got questions that aren't being answered by what we're talking about so far, share them with us because we can't wait to help. Next time we're going to be talking about maths where you will learn something about how children get those early math skills but more importantly it's about discussing the fact it's not a race and that it is okay if your child can't count to 10 by the time they start school. Massive help to us too because we're new to this podcasting thing. If you could rate, review and follow and tell others what we're doing as well. We really want to make a difference in this first five years space and it's all about you, what you want to know and how we can help. Thanks for listening.